Good morning, everyone. Uh, I greet you in Jesus' name. Good to see the Morgan showing up. I was having a migraine last night and weren't sure if they could make it this morning. Before you want to begin in Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, especially looking at one phrase in, uh, from Jesus, um, from the Lord's Prayer, it's beginning at verse 9 in chapter 6, and this is familiar, you don't have to turn to it even because it will come to your mind as I begin to read it. After this manner, Jesus said, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I, this is a beautiful prayer, and I, it, it moves me when I read it and blesses and challenges me. There's a uh, newsman, I can't even say his name, who has a, a Twitter account that I happen across occasionally, and he will often have that uh, phrase there, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Doesn't seem like a very godly man, but something about it uh, catches his attention. But this says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we look around us, anybody that keeps track of the news, and even if we keep track of our own hearts, we know that God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven where it is done perfectly. So how does this prayer even begin to be answered? I told you stories occasionally of, uh, about Johnny Rule. He used to train horses, and once he was working with a beautiful black horse named Raven. And Raven was uh, very uncooperative. Anytime his owner or anyone tried to do anything with Raven, he would angrily resist. He was very uncooperative, and uh, he would he would strike back and uh, pull back and bite. He was dangerous, a dangerous horse. And Johnny was trying to get him straightened out and not making uh, any progress. And finally, the owner told Johnny, "This can't go on. That you do what you have to do." to get this force under control. And if there's no change within a reasonable amount of time, we're going to send him off to the slaughterhouse. A beautiful horse. A tough choice, but a sensible one under the circumstances. So a lack of cooperation is a trait of untrained, unbroken horses. They're big, they're strong, and they can be dangerous if they're not under control. They can hurt people, they can hurt other animals, 
taking her to the When my dad was three years old, he walked too close behind a horse and he kicked him in the face. He required a visit to the doctor and multiple stitches. He was fortunate enough to be killed, actually. To be useful, horses need to be broken and trained. Psalm 32, verse 9 says, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which had no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest it come near unto thee. So the scripture is implying there that people have a similar problem to horses, untrained horses. Be not as the horse or the mule. And in Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8, Now be ye not stiff as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into His sanctuary. Don't be like your parents. They were like stubborn horses, resisting and bucking and kicking. This tendency has been a problem ever since the fall. Abel talked about the fall in our last, last week. Things had escalated uh, to the point before the flood that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the psalmist describes the heathen and the godless this way in the second psalm, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And when Paul was writing to Timothy, on 2 Timothy 3, and verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and the list goes on. The godless, kicking and bucking, in rebellion, against restraint, against control, casting aside God's laws and God's ways for what they think is freedom. And we're in those days. Disobedience and rebellion today is from the same seed, the same root, the same influence as Adam and Eve. Disobedience in the garden. And with horrendous results, discord, conflict, confusion, anarchy in the streets, and grief and suffering always come with it. And the problem with people and horses is a conflict of will. So the horseman has one idea, his stubborn horse has another. 
and is determined to have his own way. The horseman comes to the gate of the pasture and calls to the horse, and the horse gallops off to the farthermost corner of the pasture. The rider wants to go forward, and the horse balks and pulls back. The horseman wants to go, I mean, the rider wants to go left, and the horse wants to go right or some other direction. Most of us have behaved that way sometime or other. I have behaved like that. It's the nature of an unsurrendered heart. It's selfish. It's self-centered. It, it fears losing control. It wants to keep control. It objects to losing something that it enjoys or something that it prefers. It doesn't want to lose a comfortable situation or some something fun. Or it doesn't want to lose a position or stature that brings attention to itself. It wants to be independent. It wants to be ruler of its domain. And it resists directions and orders that go contrary to what it wants. And, and these selfish tendencies begin very young. We've seen spoiled, untrained children in public and their bratty behavior. And it's sad to see it. What will their futures be? And the heathen and the ungodly, they will continue to rage and fight for their way and struggle against authority. But God has called the Christian to leave that. He calls the Christian to surrender, to submit to his plan and to his design, and one of order and peace. So, in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as, as it is in heaven, his will done perfectly in heaven, but not on earth, we know. But it can start. It can start in our hearts and in the lives of God's people as they surrender and submit to Him and pray the garden prayer of Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. So in submitting to God's order, we understand and accept that we don't just get our instructions directly from God, but also from earthly authorities. That's the way God designed it and set it up. So there is the government, and the, uh, God said in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, and so on. Or in Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, 
resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And jumping to verse 5, Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So the government is one area, one authority that God has set up. Another one is parents. Children are to obey their parents in all things, Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 20, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor thy father and mother. And wives are to submit to husbands in a marriage. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband. 1 Peter 3, 1. And in verse 5, he says that what the holy women did in the Old Testament, who trusted in God, being in subjection unto their own husband. That's the kind of person Sarah was, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And servants start to obey their masters, employees, their employers. First Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. But Colossians 3, 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And then there is the church and church leaders, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So members of a local body have an obligation to obey their leaders the way God set it up. And, and up to this point, unsaved people can understand, at least to a degree, even non-Christians, they understand what authority is. If somebody's in charge, there are kings, there are bosses, there are supervisors, there are parents and teachers and police, and subjects are to obey orders. And there are many upstanding, uh, unsaved citizens out there that obey the rules. They obey orders when they are together. Not all, of course. Many don't. They try to get away with disobedience. But then they usually understand consequences also. So uh, they understand about detentions and fines and jail time. But for the Christian, submission goes way beyond obedience. Obedience, actually, is often the simple part. Christian submission includes how we submit, how we obey, what our motive is, and what our attitude is. I believe there are degrees of submission that will be found in any authority and subject relationship. 
So one level of submission is a forced submission. A person who is cowed and beaten down into submission. He is broken. He is his spirit is crushed, and he he's uh, he's responding like like a robot. His eyes may be blank, maybe prisoners in a concentration camp or a cruelly treated slave in a cotton field years ago, and just numbly following orders. That sometimes that's how that forced submission works. Sometimes there is forced compliance, but inside the person is very angry. Imagine children in a home with a raging dad who flies off the handle frequently as a least provocation. Years ago, I saw a boy get a spanking, a serious spanking. He wasn't a, a little child either. He cooperated then, but it was obvious he was very angry. So that's one level, just being forced into submission. Another is by the letter, submitting to the letter, um, like a legalistic approach, half-hearted, watching for loopholes, doing no more than specifically instructed, doing the least necessary to get by, like maybe peasants would have years ago uh, in Russia on the fence on the uh, collective farm in communist Soviet Union, not feeling any personal responsibility or incentive, no concern about the boss or his goals or the goals of the uh, collective. And there's a lot of unproductivity, waste, and loss. That's another level. Then there are those who uh, comply to, in the spirit of the law, in the sense of being conscientious, attempting to do what the one in charge asks and intends. They have a good work ethic, but it may be more from a sense of duty. And they, they may even want to do right, but it's somewhat dutiful, sometimes for merit, sometimes mostly for pay. There can be various degrees inside of that level, but through the spirit of the law, but missing something, which is the highest degree, and that is from the heart as unto God. A joyful servant who is thankful and grateful for being able to be the servant of the Lord Jesus. So the Christian is someone who has first surrendered to God and is fitting into God's order, and in his heart, he has held a place for the Lord Jesus. And he identifies with the garden prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Thy will in heaven over my will on earth. Fitting into God's order, into the way that God intended for things to work. 
So in Hebrews 12 and verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence or honor. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of Spirit and live? And I like the, the way the Amplified says, Shall we not more fearfully submit? We should be fearfully submitting to the Father, to God. And Christians have heard, and they have responded to the that tender invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11, in verse 28 and 29 and 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we often think of this as comfort for those in distress and those in anguish that are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that is true. But there's more here than just that. Oftentimes, we have distress because we're not submitted. We aren't meek and lowly like the Savior. He says, come to me and take my yoke, surrender to me. I am meek and I am lowly. And learn to be like me and find rest. That is where we find that that rest of an easy yoke and a light burden because we're surrendered to Christ. And He is helping us. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus, bucking and kicking he was against the prick, and then the light shone on him, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? Who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You're fighting against me. And then Paul said, What what do you want me to do? What will you have me do? He surrendered. He submitted. He received, I believe, that Matthew 11 blessing. He learned about Jesus. He learned meekness and holiness from Jesus. And in the days and years that followed, he grew in that. And uh, he went through storms. He went through very difficult times. But he had peace in his heart. James teaches us in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And the next verse, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. In verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. And He will give you rest. And He will give you peace. That, that is the glad surrender, the joyful servant, the grateful bond slave, where self is crucified, self is no longer on the throne, and our will is no longer in conflict with 
God's will and there is rest for our souls. That's a high, a high calling. But it makes all the difference in our attitude toward authorities and how we submit to them. So we read in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So, that adds a lot. There's one thing to submit yourselves to the ordinance of man. It's another thing to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And that's speaking of the government there. And Ephesians 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Talking about servants to masters, employees to employers. What a difference that makes. Being the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And in Colossians 3, a servant obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with thy service as men. Leaders, but in singleness of heart, hearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So there's the employer, and the employee hears the employer's instructions, but he's responding as unto God. And he's doing it. Heartily following the instructions, heartily as to the Lord, and not just to the boss. What a difference that makes. And the eye service that, that Paul was used there was to describe slaves who work only when they're being watched. They weren't motiv- motivated by a good work ethic. They they were watching where the boss was. Someone obeying God from the heart isn't worrying whether there will be a police car parked around the next curve or whether a parent will find out or the preacher will hear or a teacher will notice. It isn't basing um, cooperation on how nice or how fair even the authority is or how well they will pay. I remember uh, a house that Joe and I worked together on down 24. The carpet men were there, and uh, a couple of them were working in a room, and I heard one of them say to the other, if the boss pays me X dollars, an hour, he'll get an X dollars worth of work. Little pay, little productivity, which is philosophy. But Peter said in First Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, 
but also to the followers. Not everybody's going to be nice. Not every boss is considerate. But we're to be subject to them in the ways that these other verses describe as servants of Christ. Yes, there are times when we're asked to do something that is wrong, contrary to God's law, and we choose to obey God rather than men. But our heart, our heart needs to have settled this. Thy will be done. Thy will in heaven be done, not my will on earth. What a difference that attitude makes in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. And Christian submission is more than um, submitting to authority. We're to submit to one another. Heeding, caring about the needs of others before our own preferences and wishes. So in Philippians 2, or if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and there is, if any comfort of love, and there is, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, the lowliness of Jesus, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Submitting to one another as unselfish servants of Christ. It's living the golden rule, as Jesus taught. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, James 2 8, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He do well. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, Christians, uh, even Christians who are in positions of authority, are servants and are to be servants, accountable to God for their unselfishness and cheerful service, for the lack of it. They're to be servants, they're to submit themselves to others also and to the needs of others that they have responsibility for. Even the preferences of those that they have responsibility for. If husbands treating their wives with tenderness and respect and concern for their needs above their own. If fathers and mothers dealing with children carefully for the children's well-being and not taking out their frustration and anger on the children or making them do things just because that's what the parents would like 
done, they're considering their children first. And it's employers being considered and respectful and fair in relation to their employees. It's church leaders being loving and patient and gentle toward those for whom they have responsibility. It's, it's the world's rulers and the world's bosses that are dictators, not Christ's servants. Now, there's another aspect of Christian obedience when I really get into it, but that is submission to circumstances that sovereign God allows the irritations and frustrations of life and so on. That's a little different category. But to resist, to rebel, and to refuse, to grumble, that's not the character of Christ. It's not the character of Christian Paul or victorious Peter or many of the godly saints of old that we can read biographies about or read about in the Bible. Rather, those characteristics are characteristics of the chief of rebels, Satan, who lifted himself up against the Most High God and went to war against the Lord Jesus. Now, eventually, all will submit to God. Philippians says in chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. It will happen. Now back to Raven that I was telling you about at the beginning of the message. Johnny didn't give up on Raven. Uh, he used a method in working with Raven that he didn't normally use. He didn't like to use it. He was more of a horse whisperer. If you've read about horse whisperers, he trussed up Raven with a rope arranged in such a way that when he pulled the rope, it pulled his legs out from under him and he said he would fall hard to the ground. And so, after he was finished and had everything in place, Johnny gave a command and Raven did what Raven always did. He bucked, he pulled back, he refused to cooperate and was angry, and Johnny jerked the rope, and Raven fell smack to the ground. And Johnny let him up, and gave an order, and same response. Johnny pulled the rope, and Raven fell to the ground. And this happened over and over and over again. I don't know how long it was, but at some point, uh, 
raven surrender. And he stood there, quiet, calm, submitted. And he was ready to do what God said to do. He was ready to follow instructions. And he did. Raven didn't know it, but it was for his life. And that lesson is for our lives as well. And if you're a parent, you know, it's for our children's lives too. It's for their great advantage and benefit to learn young the attitude of respect and submission. And parents who have learned that themselves and are good examples of Christian submission, they have a far greater, greater success rate in teaching and helping their children learn it. A message on Christian submission is not a promotion of under my thumb, under my rule, authority, and snapping orders. And there may be such authority in our lives sometimes that we have to respond to, but and submit to them. But the lesson of Christian submission is about submitting to God and God's order. It isn't just an earthly matter between those in charge and their subjects. The bottom line is laying aside self to do the right thing in God's sight, in our actions, in our attitude, in our thoughts, as unto God. Surrendered first to Christ. No more bucking, no more kicking, no more fighting resistance, but submitted to God's order. And ready for God's service. That's when we can be effective servants. And to our great joy, that surrender to the Lord Jesus is not a loss, but a gain. A great gain. It's not a defeat, but a victory. It's not death. It's, it's life. You know, people who get their own way think they won. They didn't. They don't. We're on the victorious side when we're doing what God calls us to. Well, a life of submission and humility and service for Christ brings rich blessings. It brings the rest promise to those who respond to Christ's invitation, come ye that labor and are heavy laden. It brings the peace that passes understanding. It brings the joy in the Holy Spirit. And it brings eternal reward. Learning the lesson of submission is, uh, for many of us, it's a lifelong quest of high school learning. But it's also a lifelong calling from, from God. And so, let's 
listening prayerfully, our Father which art in heaven. I will be thy name in thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, in my heart, in my life, as, as it is in heaven. 